0: Good morning. Good to see you guys this morning. Thanks for joining us. If you're new this morning, we want to extend an extra special welcome to you. We're grateful that you've come. Uh, We consider it a privilege and an honor to worship and to open God's word together. If you're new online as well, we want to welcome you, and we're grateful that you came. Uh, If you're looking for a church home, we hope you might find one here. Um, However, if God doesn't call you to this church home, we recognize that there are a number of great fellowships within Sheridan. We're blessed to have a lot of great churches. Uh, We're blessed as a pastoral group to meet on a weekly basis and pray for and encourage one another. And we truly want to see one another's uh, congregations flourish and do well so that the kingdom of God will be without walls here in Sheridan. So if this wouldn't be the place you feel like God is going to knit you in, then we just uh, pray that you will find uh, that church home right here in Sheridan, that you'll plug in, that you'll serve, and that you'll be both a blessing and be blessed in that. So this morning, we are going to start our summer series, Psalm 119, Our Heart, Home to His Word, is what we're talking about this morning and what we've called this. And so Psalm 119 is an acrostic poem, uh, which means that basically every stanza of that poem and every verse within that stanza begins with a certain letter. So this uh, certain psalm goes through the Hebrew alphabet. There are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. So there are 22 stanzas in uh, in this psalm. And again, each Each stanza has eight verses. Each of those verses begin with that Hebrew letter. The first one we will begin with is Aleph. Um, Psalm 119, it describes God's revelation to us. It uses descriptors like law, testimonies, precepts, statutes, commandments, word, and rules. Uh, Many verses mention God's word in one line, and then in the second line, they connect it to God's revelation. Almost every verse in this psalm um, mentions God in some way. The author of this psalm is not really known to us. Some people hold that it was Ezra. By probably the most common thought is that it was a psalm of David. Some believe that, that David, there's a Jewish tradition that says David taught Solomon his ABCs, basically, through this psalm. Others say that David compiled this psalm throughout the entirety of his life, and we have it now. So this is basically the A to Z in this. Jesus would have uh, spoke this when uh, Jesus, being an Aramaic speaker, uh, would have said, I am the alaph and the tav. I am the alpha and the omega, as it's translated into the Greek. But um, it's this A to Z. He is the beginning, and he is end. It's a profound thing that God has given us this word. You know, if you think about words, we have letters that compose words, and words compose sentences, and sentences convey thought and direction and idea and design and all kinds of things. You yourself are actually composed of a four-letter alphabet. Your DNA has uh, four different letters associated with it, a G, a C, an A, and a T that are spelled out in three letter words called codons. And this is the information to make you. It's the the directions for you that that God has placed. And it represents this idea of of design, of understanding, of of just that the mind of God has knit you together exactly like he would have you to be. What an amazing thing. And, And so when we start to to think about this, that God has given us his word. He's given us this word for our direction, for our good, to help us, to direct us, to help us to, to, to live our lives, to help us to understand what it is to be blessed and to bless others as well. So let's get into the psalm. 119 starts out this way. It begins by saying, Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who comply with his testimonies and seek him with all their heart. They also do no justice. They walk in his ways. So Aleph begins this stanza here with this idea of what it is to be blessed. It's a a beatitude. And a beatitude proclaims a blessing on a certain behavior or way of being. This psalm starts out by talking really about what it looks like to live a blessed life according to God's Word. The aleph itself is, is an interesting thing. It's, it's, a, it's numeric value is one, and it represents the idea of God. Jewish tradition uh, holds that it is, um, it is composed of three different letters, a yud, a vav, and a yud, again, whatever uh, the, the alphabet there represents. And, 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 it, and uh, Jewish tradition says that it, it represents the idea of God above and man below with God's uh, directives, with his law, with his word being the thing that connects those two. There are seven divine names that begin with Aleph. There is El, Elohim, Eloha, Ahiah, Asher, Ahiah, Adonai, Adon, Olam, and Adir. And so um, we see that that this is just a, a really cool picture, even the way that this alphabet is put together. So it starts out by saying, blessed are those whose way is blameless. Anybody here have a blameless way? Right? We don't. Psalm 119 begins to look ahead to us. It begins to, to show us the future in them as well. It begins to point to the Messiah because how is it that we truly are blameless? It's only by the shed blood of Christ on the cross in our behalf, right? It's only because God, the, 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 the human embodiment of God's word came, that he made himself visible, that he expressed himself in a manner that we could both see and understand, that we could begin to understand who God was through his example, that he lived a blameless life and then substituted that blameless life for ours on the cross, right? And now offers salvation to any who would trust and believe in that. So we have one way to be blameless and one way only to be blameless, and that's through Jesus and what Jesus has done for us. It talks about walking, we walk in the law of the Lord, we, we uh, walk in his ways, they do no injustice because they walk in his ways. How is it that we walk with Christ? How is it that we follow through with these things? Once we've received salvation, then it's about being rooted in. It's about where we exist and how we, where, where we place our, our thoughts and our minds. It's about how do we find freedom? How do we, how do we understand how to do that? Well, John 8, 31 and 32 says that if we abide in him and his word, then we are truly his disciple, that we will know the truth and the truth will set us free. It's God's truth that has the effect of freeing us from the bondage that we tend to get ourselves into. We tend to think of freedom as doing what we want to do, but so often what we want to do leads us only to bondage. Really, freedom is the idea of doing the thing that keeps you out of bondage. The question now is how do we know what to do to stay out of bondage? It's God's word that, that, that directs us, that teaches us, that, that takes us in that direction. We do this by just being rooted in in him. He, he says that he is the vine and that we're the branches, right? And if that we are if we're grafted into him and him into us, then our lives will produce much fruit. It's not really about going out and just trying to produce fruit. It's not about trying to just be good people. It's about allowing the life of Christ to live in and through us. It's about allowing his word to just wash over us and begin to change the way we think and how we operate. It says, you have ordained your precepts that we are to keep them diligently. One of the difficult things about Christianity is that it has an ethical standard to it. There's a proclamation that says that there's right and there's wrong, there's good and that there's evil. We see the reality of that play out in the world around us, but, but God has a standard and he's given us that standard and he's called us to, to keep those things, to live in that way. If he's the designer of all things, if he's the author of all life, then it's God and God alone who gets to set the standards and the rules for life. And really as his creation, that really the the most reasonable thing that we can do and the way that we find the most life and that we find the most goodness and that we live in the most abundance that he has purposed for us is by living in his ways, by acknowledging that, by in humility, recognizing that we really aren't the king of the universe, that we don't really have uh, these things set in our minds by allowing our minds to truly be transformed. But God does have a standard. And he calls us to that. John 14, 15 says, this is Jesus saying, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now we tend to say things like that, but we say them in a a really different way. Well, if you love me, if you really love me, you do this or that, right? You'd show it. You'd demonstrate it by your actions. It would be visible to me by, and really what it becomes on human terms is a form of manipulation. If you really love me, you'd do this, or you wouldn't do that, or you'd, you'd act this way, or you wouldn't act that way. But you see, Jesus isn't trying to manipulate us into better behavior. Jesus is saying it this way, if you love me, if that's where you're at, if that's the focus of your mind and your heart and your affection, if you're rooted in there and you're grounded, then guess what? You will keep my commandments. Why? Because the very thing that you ought to do will be the very thing that you want to do. Because by loving him, we align ourselves by submitting to him, by by living in humility to his word and to his ways and his standards, we we begin to align ourselves with God's word. God's word begins to transform our mind, and that begins to have the possibility of then God transforming our heart. Remember, as we open our Bible, it renews our mind, and and then God changes our heart. We see this in Galatians 5.16, which says, uh, walk by the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. It doesn't just say go out and don't fulfill the desires of the flesh. It doesn't say just don't go do these things. It says walk in the Spirit, and then you won't do those things. See, it's because this is all on a spiritual spectrum, and the reality of any spectrum is that you can't be in two places at the same time. Jesus says about money and, and, and other things, He says you can't serve two masters, right? You'll love one and you'll forsake the other, why? Because you can't be in two places at the same time. You have to leave one to go to the other. To serve one, you'd have to leave the other one and go and serve it. You can only serve one at a time. So Jesus says, if you love me, if I'm the focus of who you are and what you're about, then you'll keep my commandment. Galatians 5.16 says, if you walk in the spirit, then you won't be on that end of the spectrum. You won't fulfill the desires of the flesh. Psalm one talks about that. It says, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. See, his focus isn't just about not doing those things. The only reason that he doesn't do those things up there is because what he does do, he focuses his word and his mind in God's law. He meditates on it day and night. And because he does that, He doesn't walk in the counsel of the the wicked or stand in the path of sinners or sit in the seat of scoffers. It's about where we're at. You see, God hasn't given us external rules. He's not given us just this rule book that we're supposed to follow. What God wants to do is to come in and renew our mind and our heart. He wants to completely recreate us into somebody that we've never been before. He wants to change us fundamentally. He wants us to allow his word to renew our mind to change us, to give us a renewed mind, and then a new heart. That he wants to take that heart of stone that we've got, it says, out, and give us an authentic heart of flesh, one that follows with him. Verse five, we see the psalmist start to take a shift here, and you almost see him kind of wrestling with his humanity and this idea of maybe holding up to that standard. Oh, that my ways may be established to keep your statutes. Then I will not be ashamed. When I look at all your commandments, I will give thanks to you with uprightness of heart. When I learn your righteous judgments, I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly abandon me. We wrestle with our humanity and we wrestle with this desire to work for it, to just be good enough, to follow all the rules, all the right ways, to be pleasing that way to God. But, you know, this isn't based really on who we are it's not based on our performance it's based on the character of God it's based on not something temporal and something shifting like our thoughts or our feelings or who we are but on the permanence and on the faithfulness of this God who says that he will never leave us or forsake us it's a process to extend grace to yourself and recognize that you while we may not be in the place we want to be God is at work in our hearts that God is has has entered us into a process of, of, of being transformed, of being sanctified, of, of our lives beginning to look more like Christ. We have a way of participating in that, though, that's helpful, right? It's to be in God's word. It's to be following him. It's about counting it as the most important thing in our lives. You see, our greatest fear is that we won't perform well enough and God will forsake us, that we'll be cast away, that if he knew me for who I really am, that he wouldn't, listen, he, would, he wouldn't have anything to do with me. But You see, that's not the case because it's not based on me. It's not based on my performance. It's based on him and his character, right? So never believe if maybe you're somebody in here who is believing that you just went just that much too far and now you're outside of the grasp of God's grace, it's not the truth. God's hand is, is not so short that it cannot deliver. His his arm is strong and he holds our lives in his righteous right hand. Hebrews 13, 5 tells us, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Right? Again, this idea, keep your life free from this, it doesn't say keep your life free from money. It says keep your life free from the love of money. Why? Because the love of money tends to corrupt the heart. The love of money tends to take us away from the focus that we're supposed to have on God. It leads us on that other end of the spectrum. It, it, it creates idols in our lives and things that we begin to hold of greater value than God. And then therefore, um, we, get out of, uh, we get out of step with those things and we get out of step with our life. He's the one who will never leave us nor forsake us. You see, Jesus was forsaken on the cross so that you and I would never have to be. It was him who was forsaken, not us. When he cried out on the, on the cross, Eloi, Eloi, laba sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But he was forsaken so that we wouldn't have to be. It was the only time that anyone has ever been truly alone. Jesus experienced aloneness on our behalf. We may have felt alone, and certainly we have, but we've never truly been alone. He was on our behalf so that he might extend his salvation, his righteousness to us, that he might just give it into our account, not because we earned it, not because we deserve it, because he's so good and loving that this is why he came. The next stanza is the next letter. You see, Beth, Kind of starts to sound kind of familiar, doesn't it? The alpha, bet, right? This is where we get this. Um, alpha is also the, where the, the, the Greek word comes alpha from aleph, um, and it's even where Latin gets the A from. Um, and so, here we are. Bet is uh, meant to represent a house or a home. If you've heard of Bethel, Bethel, we've all heard of Bethel the house of God, right? So how can a man, young man keep his way pure by keeping it according to your word? How do we keep our way pure? And, and, and this is in particular given to those who are, who are kind of at the stage of life where they're young, and, and what this is saying is, is guard your freedom. Preserve it. Uh, protect it. You can You can have a life that's that's much more free of regret than you can if you live apart from God's word. When we reject and we live in the rebellion against God's word, we are gonna live a life that's gonna have far more regret in it. We're gonna have far more to look back on and to, to have to uh, just to, to live with and, and we'll have to live also too with the effects and the consequences of that. You see, it's God's word again that preserves our freedom. God's word isn't just this, this thing that's meant to be a burden to us. It's meant to set us free into freedom. It's meant to realign our thinking, to renew our mind, right? So that we live in conformity to God's will. Not because God is just some kind of authoritarian jerk, but because God knows what our freedom looks like and what goodness looks like. Verse 10 and 11, with all my heart I have sought you, do not let me wander from your commandments. I have treasured your word in my heart so that I may not sin against you. And remember, sin is that, it's that archery term, and it means to shoot an arrow and to miss the bullseye. If you shot an arrow and you missed the bullseye, that was sin. It's this idea that, that we wouldn't miss the mark, that we would understand and that we would know the mark. And how do we know the mark? We, we, we know the mark by, by storing it up in our heart. Right? Matthew 6:21 reminds us that where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be anyway. That's where it's going to be also. That, that whatever you treasure, whatever you hold up is the highest in your life, whatever's the greatest thing, whatever the purpose of your life is, that's where your heart is going to be. It's the thing that you most treasure, your heart will follow that. So when we treasure God's word, when we store up God's word in our life, when our heart becomes the home the Bethel, of God's Word in our life, then this is the place where where we have that treasure. And the, the big question is, where's your treasure? What things are you treasuring? And does our lives, do our lives really reflect what we would say as believers that God's Word and God are the highest things in our lives? Can we really say that? Or do we, do we more caught up in the things of this world? Are we more caught up trying to pursue things and and hobbies and all kinds of other things. Not that those things are bad, but we get them out of step. We get them out of place in our lives. And when we do that, they have a bad effect. They don't. We can't even enjoy them to the degree that God would have us to enjoy them because we want too much out of them. It's only when we let go of some of those things and we start to recognize that those things are kind of ancillary in my life. And what's really important is my my, my focus on God. When I really recognize and begin to store up a treasure trove of God's word in my heart. It's the thing that that guides my feet. It's the thing that takes us and directs us. God's word stored up in our heart is the antidote to sin. It's the thing that keeps us walking in the way that brings us into freedom, brings us into good things. Deuteronomy 646 is the Shema, and it's a prayer that the Jewish people would say morning and evening. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Store up for yourselves treasure in heaven by storing up God's word in our hearts so that our actions, see, every action begins with a belief. What we believe dictates how we move and where we go. What we believe is in accordance to the information that we bring into our minds. God's word isn't just information, though. It's a spiritual thing. It's a supernatural word that comes in and washes over us. It begins to change us. It has this amazing effect of of realigning our our heart. So somebody said, Just do this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength, and then do whatever you want, okay? And that's the truth, if you do the first thing. If you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength, with everything about who you are with everything about the giftings and the talents and the strengths and the good things that God has given you, the blessings that you've had, if everything about that is focused towards God and who He is and His goodness in your life, and that's the focus of where your mind is at and where your heart is at, then the things that you want to do will be the very things that you ought to do. It'll be the very things that are aligned with God's will in our lives. It'll be the very thing that brings blessing not just to our lives, but to lives around us as well, that we'll begin to be a people who are exuding God's grace and his compassion, his love, his kindness to the world around us, that we'll have an answer and we'll have hope for people who are lost in in, in their own darkness, maybe even in in a prison of their own design. It's this place where we're quick, where we're able to in season and out of season Have a word to give to others. Verse 12. Blessed are you, Lord. Teach me your statutes. You know, it takes humility to learn. And none of us will ever learn apart from humility. If our own pride, our own thought, our own idea of of who we are and how smart we are is is in the way, then we'll be in the way of providence in our own lives. We'll, We'll close that door to it, not because God doesn't want to, uh, to extend his word and his ways into our lives, but because we'll be too prideful to hear. We'll be too prideful to listen. And even as believers, there are so many times there are areas of our lives where this is the case. We, we, we don't want to get rid of things. We don't want to change certain things. We don't want to let go of pet sins that are in our lives. Teach me. It takes ears to hear. Jesus talked about ears, right? He said, let them who have ears to hear, let them hear. While we all have ears, we may not all have ears to hear. Sometimes we close that off and we, we shut that down. I did that for years in my, my journey, my, my, my process towards coming to know God. I, I, I had this preconceived idea in my own mind about what was right and what was wrong. I, I, I wouldn't accept or listen to or have any time for something else. I wasn't truly a seeker because I wasn't open, really, to whatever might be available out there. I was really the God of my universe, creating a belief system in which I was the God of, that I was the one who said what was right and wrong. When my life really began to change was when I began to be someone who was under authority, when I started to recognize that I needed an authority in my life. That the authority that I was exhibiting over my own life wasn't leading me to freedom, it wasn't leading me to good things, it was leading me to bondage. It wasn't creating good things in my life, it was creating resentment, it was creating bitterness, it was creating anger. It was creating hurtful scenarios in the relationships around me. God taught me how to live. He began to teach me how to be a husband and how to be a father, how to live in community, how to do things that I really didn't have a concept of how to do how to be in relationship with others, how to do all of these different things. How are we gonna know that? I think, can we we look at the world out there and rightly say, hey, they got it all figured out. We've got it figured out. Humans are the answer. I think not. I think that we need something. So we need ears to hear. Teach me, Lord, should be our daily prayer. And then it closes. With my lips I have told of all the ordinances of your mouth. I have rejoiced, in the way of your testimonies, as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and regard your ways. I shall delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. What do we delight in? What is it that brings you delight? Delight is that interesting word. It's kind of a relational word. It's a, it, it, it's a what, what brings you joy? What brings you happiness? What is relational within that? What is, what is this thing that just brings you such deep, joyful pleasure? What do you delight in? Well, let's delight in God's word. Let's delight in, in, in our time there. Let's don't be a people who are just spending rote, uh, mandated time in the word. Let's, let's approach God's word each and every day with a freshness, with a, with a will you teach me? Will you guide me from your word today? Will you meet with me here, Lord? Will your spirit fill me? And will you give me a word? Will you teach me? Will you help me, Lord, to, to navigate the struggles of the day? Will you teach me your ways so that I might do it in accordance to how you've called it to be done? May I not malign your word, may I not take your word this day, God, and and, and malign it into something and to to use it to justify my own end. May I take your word as it is. May I meditate on your precepts today. How about just marinating in God's word? I, I find that to be such a refreshing thing to just sometimes to take what God is speaking into our lives through our time in the word and just allow ourselves to just, marinate on that throughout the day, and I find that God speaks and teaches in the midst of that time just into our spirit and, and guides us. Meditation is a Christian principle. Now, it's different from the Eastern version of med- meditation, which is an emptying of self. Yeah, Eastern meditation is trying to void all desire to get to a place of purging any desire that one has and, and therefore reaching a place of nirvana. Christian meditation is not an emptying, it is a filling. It is a filling oneself with God's word and allowing God to teach and to to just pour over our mind and our heart. See, God's word, the problem with God's word though in doing that is that it challenges me. When I take my life and I look at it in accordance to God's word, I recognize how far short I'm falling, where I'm not applying it in my life in a way that, that God has called me to. And it brings conviction into my heart, but it also encourages me. It, it, it empowers me to, to begin to, to live differently. It's not just words on a page. It, it's, it's, it's a spiritual book that speaks straight into our spirit. But the, the, the hearing, the Shema, the Shema begins with, hear, O Israel. And for the Jewish people, hearing was absolutely associated with doing. As a matter of fact, they didn't really have a word for doing, the hearing implied that you did. If you didn't do, that meant that you didn't hear. So therefore, here, and we do that, don't we? We do that with our kids, right? If you're parents, you're like, you ask them to do something and they don't do it, you're like, did you hear me? Because we associate hearing really with doing, right? So. We wanna meditate on on his precepts. We don't wanna forget. Hold us in, hold us in close, God. Don't let us forget throughout the day. May we make points of connection with you. May we bring you into everything in your word into all of our activity throughout the day, Lord. May we not forget through the day. May we not be a people who just spend a little bit of time in the morning and forget throughout the day. And then finally, we'll close with this. It's not about following the law. It's about loving the law. It's about loving the one who's ordained the law. It's about loving the one whose precepts these are. It's about a desire to want to do the things that God has, about allowing him to come in and his word to wash over and his spirit to come and change us and guide us and help us. It's about loving him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength so that we might do the things that he's called us to do, that we might recognize and know that each and every person in here has a ministry. You have plans, you have purposes that God has for you. Don't miss that. Let's don't miss that, and the way that we find that is by spending time with God in his word on a daily basis. So my prayer is this, that you will take a fresh view of God's word as we we move into summer here, that you will just allow it to do what it does that again, it won't just be mandated time in the morning, but that we'll approach it even with a heart that says, teach me, Lord, guide me. I wanna know your precepts. I wanna know your ways. I want you to bring conviction. I want you to challenge me in my spirit with how I'm walking this out. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you are good. We thank you that you are kind. We thank you that you are very much all about our freedom. And Lord, we pray that we would walk in that, not because we're good, but because we know a good God. Not because we know how, but because you've given us direction as to how. So Lord, may we be a people this week. May we truly be your people. May we be your church. May we extend goodness and compassion and love and kindness to the world around us because we've met with you, because you've done business with us and within our spirit, and you've, you've changed us, and you've grown us, and you've helped us. Lord, you... Only you are the one who is all good and who's all compassionate, who's full of grace, whose mercy overflows. Lord, help us to to be your people. And so, Lord, as we meet with you throughout this week, Lord, we're asking that your spirit would would guide us, that you would equip us, that you would change us. Lord, that the highest thing in our minds and on our hearts would be you and, and, and what you would have for us this week. Lord, may we not forget you throughout our day as well. May we bring you into all of the business that we have all of the day. And Lord, may we follow your ways, not because we're legalistic, not because we're religious, but because we have a relationship with the creator of the universe, because we live in awe and reverence and respect of who you are. Lord, may we walk in all of the good works that you've called us to. We ask it in the mighty name of Jesus, amen.